would also always think about your buying unit, right? Yeah. Like yeah. there is never one person that makes a decision unless your solution costs like $30 a year. There's just never one person. Yeah. And so who all is making that decision and include your finance team because a lot of places finance holds all the cards. It doesn't really matter if you have a budget, finance wants to weigh in and know, are you making a smart decision? Conversations are at the heart of everything we do, but how do you turn a conversation into revenue? Welcome to B2B EQ, a podcast from Unifor. I'm your host, Tim Harris. Join me as I interview business leaders and market makers to learn how to move deals forward, scale best practices, and establish relationships that create value and grow revenue. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of B2B EQ. And today's guest is a leader that I really can't wait to learn from. We had an amazing call getting ready for this. And I, I just, over 25 years of experience in sales, marketing, revenue operations, a skilled leader who is on a mission to build the foundation. And what I loved is sustainable growth, right? Clean data, simple processes, and an optimized tech stack to make work easy. She's an expert also in Cajun cuisine, who uses her recipes as a metaphor to explain complex marketing strategies, VP of RevOps at Health Catalyst, Ali Rastiello. Ali, good to see you. Hi, it's nice to be here. Yeah. So first off, we are going to get into the Cajun. I know everybody listening is going, all right, I want to hear about some of these recipes. But 25 years of experience in sales, marketing, revenue operations, if you did some introspection, What's made you successful? Not the technical stuff, not the knowledge, but the human skills, the soft skills. Uh, whew, that was a real learned skill for me because I'm kind of like a, uh, I'm in your face a little bit and I feel uh -huh. like, you know, I can be very um, aggressive at times. And so I had to really learn how to dial that back a bit and uh, use it when necessary versus like just all the time. I think one of the things that the feedback I kept getting when I was in my younger career was like, you're just a lot, you're a lot and your emotions affect everyone around you. And I was like, I don't know how that's my problem. How come I can't have a bad day? <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. And so um, I really had to dial that back. And I learned over the years that, um, especially in the ops role that we have to come to the business as consultants. Mm -hmm. So we treat everyone um, that we serve, whether it's marketing or sales or finance, all of the teams that we support <clears throat> as uh, we're doing a consultation for them. And that is really about probably 75% listening mm -hmm. and then going off and squirreling in a corner and doing some solutioning and then coming back with solutions. It's also interpreting what they say because a lot of times they don't know the right words to use or, you know, they're not, they don't know how to express what they need in mm -hmm. a way that's, you know, either technical or um, just in the same language that we would speak. So I have to train my teams to like infer things. Well, I think what I'm hearing is this, Mm -hmm. You know, or I hear what you're saying. It sounds like you need X, Y, Z. This is, would be my recommendation. 
So it was more um, of that instead of like some of my like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you, you don't even know what you're talking about because they would say the wrong things. Um, so it was training and like learning that for myself and then training my teams to sort of approach situations like that. What a good reflection. I, I, I've been in numerous meetings, numerous boardrooms where, what is it? I, this is the one I always love, a lead. Well, are we talking about the lead record in Salesforce, like the object, or are we talking about just a, a lead, something out here that came being. in, a human being? And it's so funny how the, you really do have to sometimes be, I think that revenue operations roles like Switzerland mm -hmm. to kind of sift through it all. But I, the, the, the revelation I'm having is as you were telling me that about RevOps and we were just on with um, another RevOps leader and she was saying, I have to be the change maker in my organization. Yes. But it's so parallel and so similar to what we're asking our sellers to do with our buyers. Mm -hmm. like it is very similar. Serve, you serve sales and I'm thinking I, I'm marketing to sellers. I have a sales team that sells into sellers, right? We're trying to unlock all of these, what makes a, a seller effective, but you just hit it on the head with what makes just change making effective. And I think sales is a lot more about that these days. Yeah. Everything that, I mean, like businesses have the technologies or the, um, the services they need in place for the most part. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming in, you're basically trying to disrupt that and say, yeah. do you really need that vendor? I mean, we're a better vendor. And then, you know, and it's sort of like changing that language to more about the pain points and understanding what they don't like or what they're not getting out of their current vendor and then flipping the script on like, well, what can you get from us instead? It's mm -hmm. kind of like when I would tell people in marketing or what I tell people in marketing is you're not, you're not talking about the product. You're talking about the pain point the person has and yeah. how we solve it so that when they're looking to solve that pain point, we pop up, not, you know, this product that has a nebulous name that nobody understands. It, that makes so so much sense. We, we become so, I know that the term is always, oh, we're customer centric, but I think most organizations are very them centric. You go to a website and you get to look at the names of the products. They don't mean anything to you as the buyer, right? You're like, what is this? And then I got to dig in because it's some fancy or clever name that someone came up with but it doesn't just tell me what it is as simple as we can get. I think it seems to be better. hundred percent. I'm curious because you are a evaluator, buyer, like decision maker on sales technology. And so everybody that listens to this podcast, I know is probably going, man, what gets her attention? So right there, what, what strikes a chord with you right now and what kind of gets your attention? Um, I, I hate buzzwords. I hate that we're like, oh, AI is the new future and intent was the future like two years ago, four years ago, whatever. It's kind of all the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just a buzzword. What gets my attention is simplifying things mm -hmm. and uh, a simple interface and things that do multiple tasks for me or, or help me do multiple tasks. Mm -hmm. um, we... For example, we are always struggling. Like I think everyone struggles with data. So mm -hmm. data orchestration is a big like thing that I tout all the time, but I need uh -huh. a platform that does more than 
enriches, more than um, cleans it up, more yeah. than uh, what some of the out-of-the-box features are of those typical orchestration platforms. And mm-hmm. so um, the one I ended up settling on, uh, they they do kind of everything. They can do they can manipulate your data in any kind of way. Mm-hmm. And they've got all these like pre-built recipes that they've learned over the years. And they give you a data person to help you build everything out and, and meet your needs. And so I really, um, I tend to like, you know, gravitate to those kinds of people that are those kinds of solutions that help me solve a pain point, which is yeah. kind of what I got to in the first place and makes it easy. I, I think the makes it easy button and what you just went through is like all the boxes you check probably pre-sales mm-hmm. to know if this is going to work. Like not just, okay, it's a cool feature. It's a cool capability, but you just laid out a whole setup there that I think most organizations know, but I don't know if they know how important it is pre-sales, which is yeah. making sure that Ali or any buyer on the other side of this has the support team and is going to have somebody dedicated. It's not going to change and move around a lot because that's got to be a headache Mm -hmm. that you have the recipes. I think that was a good call out and we're going to get to your recipes soon, but the recipes (laughs) around like, how do I use this? How, what, what does good look like other places or what does good look like for you so that I know when, when I'm being successful with this solution? I think that's critical. Yeah. When we did the research with B2B buyers, they said that 88% of the time, the seller knew the product features and functionality, right? But they didn't meet them where they were in terms of understand my business, understand how it's going to work for me, kind of solve or put that picture together. How do we help our sellers get there? What's the role that RevOps plays in helping sellers get there? I think, um, you know, part of my RevOps team is an enablement team mm-hmm. and that enablement team is a, is there to one, you know, get them to understand the product and how it's purchased and how we, how we should be pitching it, selling it, all of those kinds of things, but also helps coach them on how to get the information they need out mm-hmm. of those, um, out of the, the buyer, right? Mm-hmm. There should be a series of questions and not like a check the box question of like, how many employees do you have or, you know, how many servers do you need or, you know, whatever question, series of questions you're asking. Um, but it should be more around business objectives. What are you struggling with? How do you think um, our solution can fit in? Like it's really getting down to the crux of what do you need from us? Solution wise, people wise, education wise for your team, and I think that the the technologies that are crushing it in the industry know how to do this well. Like mm-hmm. I'll give Salesforce a shout out. Sometimes I'm like, y'all need to calm down because I, I don't need all the things you're trying to offer me uh-huh. in order to make us more, a more sticky customer or to buy more from you. Um, but in their, you know, in that way, they're also like, Hey, Allie, tell me your business objectives and let me figure out what products we have that could help you and let what demos I can set up, what trainings we can set up for your team, what um, other exercises like they went through and did um, an architecture with us. Like just a let's update the architecture drawings that you have of everything. 
Salesforce. So like they do stuff like that with us uh-huh. on a regular basis to make sure that they keep us ingratiated to them and that they are offering this fully rounded, you know, adoption methodology of their platform. And I think that if more of these tech companies out there could do that instead mm-hmm. of just the speeds and feeds, I'm going to sell this to you and then bounce or I'm going to sell it to you and we'll have somebody set you up to get started. And then, you know, crickets after that. Call 1-800, um, whatever to get, <laughs> get service or, or go exactly. to our, our service offline. Open yeah. a ticket and we'll get to it someday. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think that's probably the way to really build up that stickiness and that rapport. That's that's a good it's good invite advice for the whole go to market team because I think that's not just a sales problem. Like that's a that's a different form of go to market, right? Like that mm-hmm. is what you're talking about. We've seen community get really popular, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's been something that's grown and 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 but it comes around adding value. What you just told me is beyond selling me a product, they're helping me actually make my digital transformation a reality. And that's, that's pretty cool to see. Yeah, exactly. It's really interesting to understand kind of how Salesforce is engaging with its customers and as you as a buyer, what you value, but tell me a little bit about your role today and where RevOps plays in your organization. So today my role is the the technical part of all of the enablement for the growth engine. So Mm -hmm. RevOps covers the technology and all of the data for marketing and sales. So the full tech stack, we use Marketo, we use Salesforce. Those are our two, you know, core Core. systems with lots of uh, different technologies layered on. We use Marketo measure to help us with attribution and tracking of programs. We use open prize for data orchestration. Um, and then we have a series of other like, like agile off for contract signing. We're, mm-hmm. you know, implementing Salesforce CPQ for um, our quoting and, and ordering. So there's a whole lot of t- technologies and my team covers all of that. I also have an analyst that sits on my team that creates dashboarding and helps marketing and sales both um, figure out what's working and what's not working. So technically I've got three sort of legs. Mm-hmm. So I've got the marketing ops, sales ops, and the analytics that covers both. And we together, that team is creating the entire growth engine that happens um, and customer lifecycle. That's a really cool setup. I like that. So you have all of your operational arms under RevOps rather mm-hmm. than having a RevOps like function that doesn't necessarily control those others. Because I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of organizations where RevOps is more of a financial function slash tools, but then there's a marketing ops that's part of marketing. And yep. it's a really cool structure. So I, I took this job specifically because this is what it was and because I could own Salesforce. Because in a lot of companies that I worked in, Salesforce sits in IT, Uh or some business ops, and it's run by folks that don't understand what marketing or sales needs. And so um, I was really excited to be able to jump in and be like, get to own the whole thing and really build something that I've had this vision for, for years at different companies, and I can finally do it here. That's exciting. And and yeah. I think RevOps is such a part of the organization that can build and make a massive competitive advantage for both sales and marketing, that whole experience from the customer from end to end. So 
What excites you about the future? You're, you've got a pulse on the technology of things. You're in a building phase where you've been able to really kind of orchestrate this whole large revenue engine. What, what, what excites you about the future? What excites me about the future is being able to truly support sales and marketing um, to a, an extent where we become repeatable and forecastable, where it's not like, oh, well, what's working this month? It's like, how do we optimize the, those things that we know have been working? What do we can't, where can we experiment and try something new? Mm-hmm. Right now we're in such this building mode and a lot of the, you know, operational elements just weren't there to be able to do all of the things that really um, empowered like a, a well-oiled machine or even mm-hmm. like a, a great strategy to be executed, right? Um, once that foundation's there and we can sort of take that strategy and do like super amazing things with it and really bring it to life, that's what's going to excite me. Because I think um, over my career, what I've seen is I've been in places that just didn't have that sort of operational excellence that they needed, one, Mm -hmm. or we're in like major transitions we acquired a bunch of companies or a, a big company, or um, we were in decline and we were trying to figure out why and how do we write the ship. There was all these like bigger picture things. We're trying to move from, you know, an SMB company to more mid-market enterprise mm-hmm. rather than, okay, we know who we are. We are established. And now how do we make this thing and repeatable and be able to like create different strategies for growth? that has this great foundation to work from. So I am so excited to see how we really take those, that strategy to the next level. The, the point of operational or that, that ability to execute, I think is so critical. And I think we, we often get a little clouded in the tools and not enough in that, that ability to execute a process. Yes. A hundred percent. My, one of my big mantras is that, you can have the most beautiful strategy, yeah. But if you can't execute it, you don't have anything. You have nothing. Yeah. So, how do you take strategy to execution? What are some tips for for fellow RevOps leaders that are maybe struggling with that, and and kind of how have you seen that play out the best? And also, uh, then adopting tools. I'm curious, like, just what's that strategy look like for you? I feel like your your strategy is you have to know who you are as a company and what you what you provide as um, something unique or Mm -hmm. better than your competitor. You have to deeply understand that and deeply understand your buyer. And when you do, then you can create a strategy to get in front of them in a meaningful way that makes them stand up, pay attention to you and break through the noise. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you don't know those two elements, you can't develop a strong strategy. If you do know those and you don't have that like big, that foundational execution piece, mm-hmm. you're still going to be on the struggle bus trying to like get all of those things out the door that you need to get uh-huh. out the door to get in front of someone. So knowing those two pieces and then having your data stand stood up and ready for action, meaning that the minute that lead record, that brand new lead record hits your database, there's lots of automation happening on the background 
to make sure it's cleansed, make sure it's standardized, it is enriched in all the ways that it needs to, it gets into the right messaging track or the right follow-up track or whatever the next steps are. Um, and then that process continues and everyone involved that touches that, whether it is your marketing team, your BDR team, your sales team, they know they're part of the puzzle and of the process and they do it repeatedly and perfectly as possible, as perfectly as possible, right? Um, but to me, that's where rubber hits the road. Everybody knows their part, everybody's playing in their lanes and your systems are set up to just enable all of that. And you come from a background, I will say, because in our former talk, you were talking about a different structure that you have in your go-to-market. And, and I've lived this. It is so much more critical without a BDR team. And that's the big bubble burst. Everyone, yes, no BDR team. But we'll hear about why and we'll hear about what, what the epiphany was soon. But I've been in that role where now I'm dealing with enterprise or, or high-level or full-cycle full, full cycle sellers that are even more hesitant to want to follow up with marketing leads, right? That are even more hesitant to want to spend time there because they're prospecting, they're producing, there's no BDR qualifying them. So they're kind of concerned. That's a big gap in a lot of people's sales process. That's where that BDR usually fits. How have you overcome that? Because I think that's a definite revenue operations challenge. So when I say that we don't have BDRs, we don't have the yeah. traditional BDR function where okay. they are both following up and qualifying marketing leads and doing the hunting for specific sales reps, right? So we mm -hmm. had a larger team that did that. What we were finding was, especially on the prospecting piece, mm -hmm. you know, BDRs in general are definitely um, a little more junior in their career, right? They're, totally. There's usually something that they walk out of college, that's how they get their foot in the door. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to prospect to like the chief medical officer of a hospital, it's <laughs> they don't have the clout or the experience to break through that. Yeah. So the prospecting went back to our reps. Now, the marketing leads are still coming through. We kept two of them on mm -hmm. that is solely where they sit in marketing and they are solely there to qualify marketing leads that bubble up. Oh, nice. They do set a meeting when they finally get someone to interact with them. <clears throat> and, but their, but their whole goal there is really just to qualify marketing and work on other little marketing things as they come, you know, pop up and they have time. Um, now do they sit then in the marketing team? They do. They sit oh, in the marketing great. team. So there's okay. two of them there and they, they basically do what I call all of the marketing functions of BDR. Because uh -huh. to me, the outbound part of the BDR function, that's the sales part. That's yep. where you have to really understand how to get in front of someone and talk to them. The inbound part, that's still just marketing. And that's like people are engaging and you're, you're trying to get in front of them, but they're already showing that yeah. they have all of this interest in you. It's a little bit easier and you can kind of, you know, I don't know. It's just easier to get that meeting set that way it's warm conversations and nurture i think then it becomes more of a like a one-to-one -one channel for marketing yeah. and a personalized channel for marketing rather than a mass distribution channel for marketing correct and you can also like use them as part of marketing campaigns yeah. 
versus, you know, like them doing a little bit of outbound work to warm leads that mm-hmm. maybe are part of like maybe a direct mail piece or uh, getting people to an important event or something like that. More of that part of it than like the true prospecting that they were trying to use them for in um, in the previous in- intonation of their the, the spam cannons of old, the, the, yes. the line them up and see how big of a list can we put. Go into Zoom info and just start downloading trash into my CRM and then stick them into sales loft and try to like drum up business. Like that's never, that's not going to work. I am so glad to hear that. And more and more people I talk to, I think the, the, the revolution, these, these are not bad tools. They're just, as I say it, you have a 22 or 25 year old and you just gave them like an Iron Man suit of sending emails and all of the other things, just a little crazy. Like we don't, yeah. you know, a little more control maybe. And I think it's moving that way as a profession. I really do. But it's such a fascinating thing. So how did you come to this epiphany? Like how did the organization make this change? And what was the change management like? Because um, it's interesting. I, not, I marketing will not things. take the credit for coming to this epiphany. Um, I think it came from our chief commercial officer Mm -hmm. realizing that the, the conversations were not where they needed to be in the outbound phase. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were having to do some adjustments like everybody had been doing with our go-to-market strategy, with the size of our teams and that kind of stuff. And so at that point, he just said, you know what, we're just going to do away with this function, but we're going to keep a couple of people in marketing because marketing was like, what about inbound leads? Yeah. So then it became our job as a rev ops. Like they made the, the unilateral decision. There was no change in management. I came back from vacation and was like, what's happening? Oh God. Okay. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> uh, let's figure it yeah. out. And so then we had to kind of figure, refigure out like how did leads work? And even like how, what was the role of these two folks that we were keeping on? Yeah. Um, and it's still a little bit of a work in progress, but, um, you know, we, I basically positioned it as like, these are no longer BDRs. They are not doing any hunting. So all of these ROE rules that we had in place mm-hmm. don't matter. They're not going to take a lead away from a sales rep. If the sales rep doesn't engage with something in 30 days, like yeah. that's not real anymore. So they're not doing this or trying to get net new, um, people in for like yeah. part of their commission plan because that's not how they're paid anymore. So let's just let them make a really good experience for the the marketing leads that are engaging with us uh-huh. and create a really good handoff and set up for the sales leader that is going to take that very first call with them. How cool. And so that's sort of how we've reorganized them and reoriented them. And we're still working through a little bit of the, um, the like technical pieces of that inside the systems and what that looks like, but it's just kind of like flipping the script on it and, and thinking at it at a different angle. Yeah. But also at the back end, and this is where people I think don't always realize you had to replumb the whole machine. Yeah. I mean, that is truly like a a completely different change in lead flow and how all the systems talk to each other and all the automation rules. Yeah. Massive change management inside your organization. Yeah. We took took care of it in a few weeks. It was fine. That part was actually fine. That's for me. We have a pretty, I mean, we're in healthcare, the healthcare space. So it's a very narrow vertical. And so Uh this is the smallest data set I've ever worked with. That was also one of the interesting parts of taking this job that 
that made me excited. Yeah. Because we weren't talking about a 5 million record CRM. We're talking about one that has 17,000 accounts and, you know, less than half a million records. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. But it does lead me to the point that for most organizations, now I'm not talking big, big enterprise already established, have all these accounts and, and all these reasons. It's not a reason to reduce your, your addressable market, but I think there's a learning point there of if you try and just take on your entire database, you really do have to segment and silo kind of certain parts. Oh man, there's so much segmentation that has to work mm -hmm. in those bigger organizations, especially when you've got one CRM that's servicing the globe yeah. or one CRS and one CRM that is servicing multiple business units that have very different buyers in them and very different sales cycles. So for instance, we had at one of the companies I had, we are, I worked out, we had, you know, actually most of them, mm -hmm. it's an SMB mm -hmm. offering that was very low touch and very uh, transactional. Yep. And then we would have these elaborate enterprise plays that were multi-million dollar deals that were long sales cycles that were, you know, up to a year or more. Yep. Um, and you have to balance out all of your processes inside your CRM and how leads are passed, who they go to, um, the way that you even process somebody that's a completely transactional, just enters a credit card and goes versus yep. someone that gets a sales touch. Um, and you have to or orchestrate and architect all of that in your systems. And that to me is where businesses really get hung up where they're like, I don't know how to handle all of this. And you've got to really think through some maze of logic that gets mm -hmm. down to what you need. That is complex. And I'd be curious how you think of segmentation, you know, coming from that background and seeing that obviously now working with a smaller data set, but what are some things for advice for people listening that, you know, if they, if they are trying to tackle that segmentation phase, what are some things you've seen work? Figure out what data points you can enrich with that's part uh -huh. of the segmentation process. So at the e-commerce company I worked at, for example, yeah. we wanted GMV, which is like, I forget what it stands for, but it was gross. It's the amount of money a store processes online, whether okay. or not they're brick and mortar and online or strictly online. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we were tiering our, um, our, uh, our routing. Everything was off of like, how much do you sell in the store? Well, mm -hmm. there's not a, there's not a database in the world that's going to give us that. And we tried to buy that. We tried to, yeah. there was a few um, companies that were like, Oh yeah, we have e-commerce data. Yeah. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> so then it was, it became a like, Oh, well they have to self report when they fill the form out or when they do this thing. So Oof. like, that's not really, I mean, self-reported, I could tell you that I'm, you know, my store's processing $10 million and it's like $10,000 a year. Or you get the yeah. self-reported form and the brackets are so big. You're like, I kind of fit into this one. Yeah, but. exactly. <laughs> so it didn't really, you know, they had to revamp that at some point. Um, so I, my, my suggestion would be uh, go some sort of traditional route of like in the regular business sector, company size revenue size, things that you can get enriched through Zoom info mm -hmm. um, or 
uh, something else, uh, data, whatever, data whatever yeah. data source that you want to use. Uh, various data sources probably are, are what it takes in the, you know, when you're yeah. kind of going after general businesses. Um, and make sure that you have a way to auto enrich that when your leads come in so that it's already there, it's in place, and they're going to get segmented. I also mm -hmm. suggest like taking your titles and dropping them into job functions and job roles. So like, I know that I'm like, if I was in marketing and like just marketing ops, I'm a marketing leader. So you would bucket me in job role marketing and like decision maker or VP level or whatever it is. Um, so that you can easily use these very generic basic terms to segment everyone, but it's being fed by some sort of logic that encapsulates everything around like director of marketing, VP of marketing, CMO, like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Those two things to me are critical in any kind of segmentation because you wanna know that you have the right buyer with the right authority to mm -hmm. buy and that you're marketing to the right person and what they care about. And I can I think also, of the communication. It makes it simpler on that communication, like across teams to align and say, 100%. we're taking any sales leader that's of this level and this seniority. Okay, great. They're in a bucket. Now it's yeah. not, I'm looking at a weird title and not knowing if they fit. Nope. A seller can very quickly. And on the enablement side, kind of enable into that larger bucket. Yep. Cause a lot of those roles are going to have the same challenges. And I would also always think about your buying unit, right? Yeah. Like, yeah there is never one person that makes a decision unless your solution costs like $30 a year. There's just never one person. Yeah. And so who all is making that decision and include your finance team because a lot of places finance holds all the cards. It doesn't really matter if you have a budget finance wants to weigh in and know, are you making a smart decision? Mm -hmm. And so Especially. think about all of that when you're creating your marketing campaigns, your sales enablement, and most importantly, your database, so that when those leads come in, all of that sort of processes and happens and they just end up in the right spot or in the right segment so that you can send them the best communications possible. Give it. them what they care about. True, make it relevant to them, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. so critical. And, and so often I feel like we fill out a form or we do something or we get a call from sales and it is just very general, very high level. You go back to what we were talking about first right away. It's like, know me, know my business, understand what I'm looking for. Yep. And it's such a better conversation. 100%. Well, I've had so much fun learning from you, right? But. I'm thinking, okay, before we switch the cards a little bit, I want to learn about you, Allie. What's one piece of advice for a fellow RevOps, something that maybe you had a challenge with or something that you learned along the way that, that you can share with the with them? Oh, there's so many challenges. Um, I think, and I, I'm going to say this because I, I feel like I go through this in every aspect of my life, not just RevOps. <laughs> put a plan together. Yeah. Put a plan together, a project plan. So, you know, all the steps that you have to take in order to execute something. It doesn't matter if it's a small project or a big project. Currently I'm coming off a year and a half, mm -hmm. uh, implementation of CPQ. 
So that's a really long project that included mm-hmm. sales, finance, enablement, um, even legal. Like there's a lot yeah. of like our solutioning team. It was so cross-functional without a plan. There's no way that we could have gotten to the point where we're going to launch in a, in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but I even see that like in my home remodel, my contractor did not seem to have a plan and just went crazy and was just like going at it and, and not having any kind of list to work through. And uh-huh. so I came in one day and I made him a list and then we printed <laughs> it and cut it out and put it in every room. Like, here's the list for this bathroom. These are the things that still need to get done because people yep. need that. You can't just like think you're going to remember everything. Um, so I would on. say have a project plan, have a plan in place, and then mm-hmm. you can execute across that plan. Don't try to start executing when you don't have a fully like baked plan beforehand. And I, and I think that even goes back to, is it Stephen Covey that said, start with the end in mind, right? It was one of his, I think, uh, seven habits of highly effective. You hit one right on the head, which is like, know where you're going, know what it's going to look like when you get there. And to that point, you're in, I believe, Austin, Texas, correct? I am. So located in Austin, Texas, and just remodeled their house. So talk about operations. I can I can resonate with you on that one. It <laughs> looks absolutely gorgeous behind you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of what got you into RevOps and on this journey 25 years ago and kind of how you've, how you've kind of played out through the different organizations and different roles. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your history. Uh, oh, gosh. Okay. So I graduated in the 90s. I am old. Um, And I was a radio TV film major and thought for sure that I was going to be in like TV sales because Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed interacting with people. I liked the business aspect of it. Um, I love the creative part of it too, but creative being creative as a job stresses me out because I feel like it's creative on demand and I can't do that. Well, I just need to be inspired. Um, So I really liked the business part of it. And I started my career in TV sales. I worked for a, a television rep firm. Mm-hmm. And I worked for, uh, I worked with big, um, big companies or big agencies that handled like General Motors and DreamWorks and stuff like that. And it was the most boring job that I've ever had. Four years of it. I was like, it's going to get better, right? It was mm-hmm. just not, it was, it was really just like forecasting and numbers and like getting on the phone and being like, oh, yep, here's, we met your numbers forecast. So here you can buy our TV station. And then also the world changed too and internet came in and you started having this digital marketing sort of, you know, emergence that wasn't there before. Um, And so I did that for a couple of years. I was a buyer for a couple of years and then I sort of fell into a marketing role at a tech company in in Houston where I used to live. And it was like the most random thing. I was a hundred percent not qualified. (laughs) <laughs> and I remember talking to the VP of marketing who yep. K hand bless his heart. He's so great. He and I just hit it off on the phone and he was like, do you know what the Icon has a cheeseburger website is? And I was like, uh, yeah, I read that site every day. This is like the LOL cats back in the day. Like one of uh-huh. the first like viral meme sites. I was like, yeah, I read it every day. He's like, oh, okay. I need someone that helps us old guys talk to the young guys in the company. Uh-huh. 
so can you help with that? I was like, oh yeah, man, I can totally help. I was like 31 at the time. I was like, yeah, it's going to be so cool. And so they hired me. Oh, wow. I had no digital marketing experience whatsoever. And I was like the associate manager of marketing or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of fell in love with the technology um, mm-hmm. sort of like uh, culture. And yeah. just, you know, it was a lot of about, it was so much about being engaged and having fun and having these great workspaces. Really loved that. And mm-hmm. I really liked the marketing pieces of it. Um, and didn't realize that at the time I was probably doing operations and just didn't even like, you didn't have that name to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was doing sort of everything. It was a smaller company. So I got to get my hands in, learn email marketing, learn, uh, managing websites, managing Google ads, managing a swag closet and, you know, getting like all those little like cool, fun details. Um, I installed my first Marketo instance back then. This was like in 2010. I was one of their first 500. You were on the cusp of like CRM marketing automation. Yeah. saw All of these technologies come to fruition as they were first getting developed. Yeah. And then I, I made a move and went to a, a bigger company that was one of our competitors uh-huh. and um, did a little bit of customer marketing, did some enterprise level marketing, really under- learned uh, integrated campaigns and how they all work together. I had these great mentors there that um, went on to work at Serious Decision slash Forrester. Um, uh-huh. And I found that the drain of being creative was too much for me. And I really understood the systems and the execution piece. And so I just kind of fell into ops and they were like, we're going to promote you to manager. What do you want to manage? There's like several teams that need managers and marketing. And I was like, operations, I'm going to go fix this Marketo instance. And I'm going to get us doing, you know, like whatever. I had this whole vision about how it was going to run. Um, and so I did that and that's kind of how I fell into ops. And then I, you know, jumped around to a few different companies over the last few years and um, took on, was doing a lot of the marketing roles, marketing ops and digital marketing and um, website ownership and that kind of stuff. And then uh, this came open and I was like, I want to own revenue operations because I am yeah. so frustrated on a regular basis that I can't get what I need out of the Salesforce team. Yeah. And this came up. Uh, I knew someone at the company. We had worked together in the past. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. That's cool. That's so really cool. Well, and and what a neat background like to have. So to go from marketing, understanding the creative, understand what moves buyers, what moves markets, right? The messaging and that stuff. To then understanding the systems and tools that lets that messaging get out it's not often that I talk to revenue operations, people that came from a marketing background. It's very unique. But as we look at today, how we buy, how a lot of it's digital, how a lot of it is, you know, I want to learn and educate and understand and touch the product and see it all before I ever talk to sales. I'm not going to fall in the trap of the, you know, 80% of the buying journey is done before you talk to sales. Cause I think sales fits in, in different places for different yep. people. But a heck of a lot of it is done self-serve now, mm-hmm. which is really on the back end, the shoots and ladders that you orchestrate and keep running every single day. Uh, yes. And I also <laughs> think too, because I've, I've talked to a, and a lot of revenue operations leaders and a lot of um, 
frankly, you know, CEOs and CMOs. Mm -hmm. And what's missing when you have a sales leader as a RevOps leader and they own marketing, they don't understand marketing at all. They, They know that marketing brings in leads. They don't know how. They don't know. I mean, they kind of like have an idea, but they don't know yeah, how those systems on their work. Website. <laughs> right. And so when you put someone like that in charge of, say, your marketing tech stack, your sales tech stack, and even your analytics function, which is kind of what RevOps is meant to be, is this unification, mm-hmm. um, you, you lose a lot of the marketing confidence. Like the marketers feel like they're not getting what they need and they they struggle with it quite yeah. frankly, when it doesn't sit with them and it sits under somebody that doesn't get it. Yeah. But if the leader has a marketing background, appreciates all the nuances of marketing, knows how difficult it is to track all of these channels and make sure we attribute things right to understand what's actually working and influencing mm-hmm. revenue, um, it's a different ball game. And I would put it out there that if you have a sales leader or sales ops person that's in that role, or even like a business operations or finance operations Mm -hmm. person in that role, you are underserving your marketing team because most, most anyone outside of that organization doesn't understand what marketing is doing. Wow. Yeah. That's an epiphany. And it's something to think about because most rev ops teams come from either a finance background or a sales background. You're you're spot on. And I tell you, I've got friends that work in companies where that's what their RevOps leader are, and they're all in marketing and they all complain to me or they call me for advice. How do, how do I get this person to see the whole picture? Yeah. Uh Mm Uh-huh. That's, that's really fascinating. It's, it's, um, it takes me back. It's a question I usually ask everybody, which is, you know, introspectively, you know, you, you think of yourself at the beginning of your career, what would be some advice? The advice I'm hearing, I want to hear what you think, but the advice I'm hearing is like, man, I made a good choice going to marketing for where I am now, which is really Uh, interesting reflection. It is. I think my personal reflection would be to have spent more time in the Mm -hmm. sales org as a marketer yeah, and really understanding what sales was trying to do and their processes, because I do feel like that would have made me even more badass than I am now. I love it. Well, for someone that does need to unify all those teams and build those recipes, definitely, definitely a good, good reflection. And, and for everybody out there in rev ops or in marketing or sales, they always say there's a lack of alignment, right? But maybe it's yep. uh, walking in each other's shoes a little bit more. So, 100%. so Allie, before we wrap this up, I, I do want to touch on your Cajun recipes and I do <laughs> want to talk about kind of what you love to do outside of work. So what are some things you, uh, you like to do for fun? Uh, well, I cook. I mean, that's, I love to cook. This is what's the top big renovation was so that I could have the kitchen of my dreams. Um, my, my known recipe is crawfish cornbread. And I have shown Mm. up at an event where I took that recipe and all of its ingredients and I equated it to data orchestration. I love it. I love it. I basically like broke it down and was like, imagine if you had to catch your own crawfish and they didn't come like already cleaned and tailed, or you had to grow your own uh, corn and make cornmeal out of it. I was like, how long would it take you to make this recipe? It all comes packaged the way you need it. 
set up, ready for you to go. You just take all those little ingredients and build, you know, mix them up and get them in the oven. And there uh-huh. you have it in an hour versus, you know, days or years or whatever. Weeks or years. Or- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Such a fun analogy. I love that. Well, I will say, if you have it linked somewhere or you're willing to share, I would love to put it in the show notes for those that are listening, getting a little hungry on a Friday. It sounds like an amazing recipe. If not, I, I do respect secret recipes too. So we'll it's have to have you back on and, and share it. it. I'm happy to share it. <laughs> well, that would be fun. Allie, it has been so much fun talking to you. I just want to say thank you so much for, for joining us and sharing your past and your experience in RevOps and learned a lot from you today. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much. This was great. Awesome. To our guests and all of our listeners, uh, thank you again for another episode of B2B EQ. Listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Join us on YouTube and watch the video links if you want to see us live over video and catch all of the cues. Otherwise, until next time, we'll see you on another episode of B2B EQ. We hope you enjoyed this episode of B2B EQ. Be sure to rate, subscribe, and follow the podcast for more exciting insights. To learn more about the value of EQ and the technology powering today's conversations, visit us at unifor.com.